Hi everyone, my name is Ishka and I'll be doing today's second Bible reading which will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 2 to 16. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. The God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because the spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I'd boasted to him about you and you have not embarrassed me, but just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, hi everyone. Uh, I am not John uh, and I'm not Ollie. Uh, my name's Pete. I'm one of the elders here at St. Stephen's. And it's my great privilege to continue our series today, just for once, one sermon only, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. A great chapter both for Christians to see what we're saved for, and for those who are not, and we're so glad you're here if you are, to see the kind of life God offers to you. So let's pray together, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your life-giving word and that in it you offer us salvation in Christ. And in it you show us the life you want us to have together. We pray that we will rejoice in living that life today. Amen. Well, as part of my job, as lots of you know, is to lead a team supporting students as they live for Christ on campus. 
And one of the traditions we have is called Staff Team Bonding Day. And typically what we'll do is we'll find an activity that stretches us all beyond our comfortable place. And the point of the day is to help us remember that nobody does this alone. But instead, we're a team. We're in this together. And no one gets left behind. And over the years, we've done a whole bunch of different things. Uh, one of the more famous was caving, uh, which for me is claustrophobic, was terror from start to finish. I can still remember when we got to the hole in the ground, which was about as wide as me, and we were told to get in. And I remember I physically froze, you know, unable to move, uh, until the younger, newer members of the team, uh, without any hint of sympathy, and without apparently remembering that I, in fact, was his boss, just sidled up next to me and said, get in the hole. To which I replied, I can't. I'm stuck. And what did he say? No, you're not. Yes, you can. Get yourself in the hole. And so I did. You see, that's the point of the day. Or like this year's day at a ninja gym, and here comes a photo now, Whereas part of the day, we had to work together to lift and carry and encourage each other to, to get to the end of the course. And you see, that's the point of the day. No matter how awkward to lift each other, no matter how scary to get in the hole, the point of the day is to help us remember that nobody does this alone, but that we're a team we're in this together. No one gets left behind. As we've been reading 2 Corinthians together, it strikes me that a large part of Paul's aim is much the same. You see, one of the great burdens of the book of 2 Corinthians is Paul's desperate desire to bring the Corinthians with him right to the end of the race. That they remain a gospel team where no one gets left behind. And the question it raises is, how? How did you do that, Paul? How can we do that now? And perhaps especially in this season we're in, where we need each other so much to continue our race in Christ. How do we remain a gospel team when no one gets left behind? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says we do it with, with a love that both commends and corrects, with a godly grief that changes lives, and a joy that comes from godliness shared. See, if there's one thing that's clear as these verses open, is that Paul dearly loves this church, and he wants them to love him too. Did you see it there, verse 2? Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. In other words, our treatment of you speaks for itself. Our care for you shows our love. And verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you, as if you don't already know this. Or as if you somehow deny this. No, that, that's not my point at all, Paul says. My point is simply this, verse 3. You have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. 
See, if there's one thing clear as these verses open, it's that Paul dearly loves this church. And in fact, he loves them so much that he is willing both to commend and correct, to encourage and rebuke. And the encouragement begins in the very next verse. Did you see it there in verse 4? I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Like a proud coach with his team gathered round. Like a proud dad with his hand on his child. Well done, he says. Be encouraged, he says. Keep going, he says. And what a difference that must have made to them. What a difference we know it makes to us. You know that two-line message there on our phones. Those encouraging words so simply sent, but which make such a difference to us. They are, as one person put it, like oxygen to the life of our church. Like fuel to the engine of faith. What an honor. What an opportunity to love with a commending word. And what an honor... What an opportunity to love with a correcting word. You see, you might remember back in chapter 2 that out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, that Paul had written to the Corinthian church with a letter of correction. And here in chapter 7, we hear of that letter again. A letter whose sending had caused Paul fear. I think that's what he's referring to there at the end of verse 5. Did you see it? Fear within. Fear for how they'd received the letter. And it brought Paul down, did you see? Verse 6. He was downcast. In fact, so much so there in verse 8 that, that at least for a moment he even regret that he wrote it. And yet he did. Why? Well, because so great was his love for this Corinthian church, so clear was his commitment, not just to his own godliness, but to theirs as well, that he was willing to do what might hurt for a moment if it would help them in Christ. And I wonder if you've ever had a moment like that where a hard word would be needed to help someone in Christ. You know, when you could see a sin or maybe just a temptation, but they, they couldn't or wouldn't see. And I wonder, how did you feel when that moment came? And what did you do for them? Were you tempted like me to just look away? Was it too awkward or stressful or hard? Or did you, like Paul, so love them that it cost yourself and with humble care did you offer a correcting word? You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his really wonderful book, Life Together, puts it like this. Nothing can be more cruel 
than the tenderness that leaves another within their sin. And nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother or sister back from the path of sin. It is a ministry of mercy, an ultimate offer of genuine fellowship. You see, how do we run this race together so that no one is left behind? Like that, Paul says, with a love that both commends and corrects. And we see here, with a godly sorrow that changes lives. You see, in response to Paul's letter of correcting love, how did the Corinthians respond? Well, Paul says they were grieved with a good, right, productive grief, with a grief that changed their life. See it, verse 8. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet, yet now I am happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. That is, because your grief turned you around, away from your sin, and back to God. After all, that's what repentance is, isn't it? It's a, it's a turning around in mind and life, a, a complete about-face in your heart. Like, like the soldier, can you see him as he's marching along until his commander cries, Company, halt! About face, forward march. You see, that's what repentance is. Turning from sin, returning to God. That's what repentance is. And Paul says, that's what you did in your sorrow for sin. You see, you and I live in this culture where, where more and more it seems, at least in the worldview we're taught, pleasure is always good. Pain is always bad. And so if it's hard, then you should avoid it. And if it hurts, then even more so. But see, Paul says, don't believe the lie. Paul says, don't believe the lie. Like an athlete in training. Like a mother at birth. Or like the tears that flow when we know we've done wrong. Paul says, there is such a thing as productive pain. There is such a thing as good grief. And how do you know when you have it? Especially when it comes to your sin? It's when Paul says that grief turns you to God and to a salvation that dries your tears and changes your life. Do you see it, verse 10? For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You see, don't hear me wrong, Paul says. It's not as though every kind of grief is a good grief or that every sorrow changes lives. No, there is such a thing as worldly grief, a kind of sorrow for yourself. It'd be like me, perhaps, my wife, when I know I've done wrong. And all that I'm feeling is sorry for self. 
and I'm racking my brain to find an excuse and I'm looking for a reason why it's her fault. But, but godly grief is different, Paul says. Why? Well, because in seeing our sin for what it is, in grieving our sin as offensive to God, it takes you and turns you. Not to yourself to find an excuse. Not to another as if it's their fault. And not even in hiding away from your God. No, it takes you and turns you back to the God who offers the forgiveness we need. It's just as we heard in that psalm, wasn't it? Do you remember? I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And you see, that's what God loves to do for us in Christ. And as he does, and as we receive it, he literally changes lives. Just as he did for the Corinthians there from verse 11 and following. Did you see it? You know, in his wonderful book, uh, Enjoying God, uh, Tim Chester writes, As I've reflected on what it means to enjoy God, I think the number one reason I don't enjoy God more is this. Not enough repentance. And then he goes on, and so very helpfully says, The problem is not that I sin. Sin itself does not keep us from God. Why? Because God is gracious. He provides a means of reconciliation to the work of his Son. Just as we've been hearing all through 2 Corinthians. No, he says, sin itself doesn't prevent us enjoying God. No, the problem is either that I keep my distance so I can sin, or I keep my distance because I'm ashamed. And the solution, he says, in both cases is repentance. This kind of repentance that begins with a grief that turns you to God where salvation is found and regret is removed. And what does that leave you with? It leaves you, Paul says, with joy. Or more to the point, it left him with joy. With a joy that comes from godliness shared. You know, I think some of the saddest moments in my ministry life have been sitting with a friend while they grieved a terrible sin. And watching their pain and hearing their shame and knowing how much they wish they could change. And some of the best moments of my ministry life, the things of greatest joy, have been watching those same friends with their sins repent to God. And watching their pain relieved 
and hearing their shame removed and seeing the joy that can only come with the forgiveness that is one in Christ. And here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, that's how Paul feels. Did you see it? That joy after that grief for godliness shared together. And in fact, it's right the way through the chapter. Did you see it? In fact, I wonder if you realize, but a full half of the times that Paul uses the words joy or or rejoice in this whole letter are right here in this chapter. That's how great his joy is. And so you see it there, verse 4, verse 4, I'm overflowing with joy. Or again there, verse 7, I rejoiced still more. And then verse 9, I rejoice. Verse 13, we rejoiced. Or there from verse 15, and Titus' affection for you is even greater. As he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Yes, we have this sneaking suspicion, don't we, that if you really knew the things I thought, if you really knew the things I did, you would never, ever, ever want me. You would turn me away in disdain. But did you hear these words from Paul? Did you hear this affection from Titus? Did you feel the joy of this chapter? See, that's what it's like within God's church when confession is made and repentance is sought. It never, ever casts you out. It always, always brings you in by the mercy and love of Christ. It's just as we heard from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 just a few weeks ago, isn't it? Do you remember? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, that's what God's people know. And so that's how God's people live. Even when sin is confessed, especially when repentance is made, with the joy that comes from godliness shared as we live this life together. See, we started, didn't we, with with talk of teams and teams who are in it together where where no one gets left behind, where, where we need each other to kind of get in the hole. You know, and get to the end of the course. And friends, that's how it is with us here in this Christian race. We need each other to get to the end as we live our lives for Christ. How do we do it? Paul says, with a love that both commends and corrects, with a godly grief that changes lives and with a joy that comes from godliness shared. And so I wonder, which of those could you pursue today? Is there someone you could commend with a simple, encouraging word? Is there someone 
you should correct with a careful, caring word? Is there a, a sin you need to grieve toward the God who loves to forgive? Is there a joy that you could know from godliness shared together? Friends, what a great day it would be for our church if all of us answered yes. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again and so very much for your wonderful word. And in particular this morning for the way you call to us to run this race together with a love that both commends and corrects, with a godly grief that changes lives, and a joy that comes from godliness shared. May we who know your Son do that together today. And for those who don't, may this be the day that they, like us and with us, would grieve their sin for the very first time and turn to you and have the same salvation we enjoy in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.